Welcome to the future of gaming. GM friends, and welcome to the future of gaming. You're listening to our weekly podcast. If you're on YouTube, you will see that we are a lot of people today. It's a special episode. We are five. We have the usual crew, Philip Collins, Devin Becker, myself, Nico Vreke. And then we have two special guests. First and foremost, we have Maria Gillies, who is the new product director at Pixion Games, who's Ooh. also an advisor to Scripted, of whom we have the CEO and co-founder here, Tim Cotton. Hello, everybody. There we go. I did it well. Good. So, goal of today is, um, in the show notes, there will be a link to a YouTube video in which you hear the beautiful voice of Tim, which you'll also hear on this podcast, explain <laughs> what the hell he built. He used AI and built something really cool. It's called Auto RPG. Um, and we're going to dive into that today. Um, anyway, so watch that before you listen to this. We're going to assume you have watched that video, um, you know, while discussing this. All right. Before we record it, Phil asked Maria a question that I wanted to have recorded because I want to know the answer as well, and I think more of you will. So, Phil, what did you ask Maria? My question was pretty simple. I was just like, Maria, so what are you up to these days? <laughs> I've been doing walks on the beach. Um, I discovered IKEA customer support is great today. It's been good. Uh, no, I'm yeah. I recently joined Pixion as product director, like Nika said. I only I've been there for two weeks. I joined the dark side. I'm now um, working in blockchain gaming. Hey, welcome. I, honestly, it's been so much fun. I think in these past two weeks, I've had so many interesting conversations and my brain just feels completely stimulated like never before so it's been super super fun i knew i wanted to work in like an unknown territory space where there's no exact playbook and yeah it's so fun amazing so maybe um so i, I think many of us on the call here know pixion games or maybe not can you just briefly describe what's what what you guys are up to there yeah, so we're currently uh, developing Fableborn, which is an async competitive game. It's like a, a mashup of action RPG with base building, your rating. Um, I have to be careful about what I say because mm. we're cooking up some announcements and I don't want to accidentally say something I shouldn't. Leak, leak, leak. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, it's a unique game. Like I played it when I was in the recruitment process and I felt, wow, it's been a long time since I felt uh, just a fresh mobile game experience. So I'm hyped for it. I'm excited. I'm part of bringing it to the market. I'll leave so, it there. So I played Fableborn and it made me realize what a terrible mobile gamer I am. Like my thumbs just don't work, you know? It's you, you need some mechanics for that game. At least I had the impression because I was playing the, the MOBA part more than the base building part. Um, can, can people try it out still, Maria? No. Not okay. Cool. I have someone drilling. I'm going to go close my window. Okay, good. In the meantime, I'll <laughs> ask Tim. Tim, tell us a bit yep. more about maybe what you were up to or, or tell us more about, about Scripted. Sure. Um, let me just start with thank you for watching the video ahead of time because mm. everything I'm about to say will make so much more sense now that I'm sure you've watched that auto RPG video. <laughs> so, um, you know, I founded the company uh, kind of at that intersection of AI and Web3. 
kind of figure out where these things make sense as we move the conversation forward. And um, two years ago, I was worried about AI. I felt like we were starting to enter another AI winter where the progress with very large language models was not going to result in any application development. And I was wrong, and I'm very happy to be wrong because what we've seen over the last even I mean, just in our FogDAO channel and Discord over the last three weeks is a complete inflection point. We are seeing apps come out faster and faster than ever, pushing past just prompts. So I wanted to see how do we leverage the game development knowledge that my company has against building uh, game dev tools, tool sets using AI. So what you see when you look at auto RPG, it's not a procedurally built level. It's an actual AI with some ideas about what it wanted to do and how to accomplish those. And then it worked with another AI agent and in a multimodal way. And what I mean by that is not just prompts, but also visualization and recognition to build a level. And I thought it was pretty amazing for what it pulled off to the point where I look at it now, not just as an in-house tool, that we can use to like build out our game faster, right? But something, this is commercially viable. I already, <laughs> we put that video out. The response was overwhelming. I've had 200 people join my LinkedIn over the weekend when I was camping with my kids, dozens of VCs and angels asking, hey, how do we take, what do we, how do we get into on this? And I'm like, well, we need to build something next in 3D, something that shows not just tiles. So that's what we're doing right now. Amazing. Must feel good, right? Everyone's struggling to raise and you're like, you know, VCs just asking you to, to, to give you money. It was one of those random moments, especially as you've seen with like the uh, downward trend in Web3 investor interest where suddenly not only is AI hot, but it's meaningful. Like I have, we have not even completed the customer discovery process, right? My COO is like talking with people, finding out like what, you know, valuation of this kind of tool but I have school groups like for the larger online private schools uh, calling me and saying, hey, can we use this as a tool for the kids? I'd never even considered that as a possible segment, let alone what else is out there, right? So there's, uh, there's a lot of doors that AI is opening right now. So my idea for this recording would be to maybe dig a bit more into first like what you've done and how it works and what kind sure. of tools... Well, yeah. what kind of AI advances it's lever leveraging and mm -hmm. then maybe reflect on how fast all of that is moving. And then finally, right. I'd also like to get all of your guys' thoughts on the the potential here. Like the, the you know, what does this look like at the rate that's advancing in maybe three years from now? Yeah. Are we, is is game development being democratized? Mm -hmm. um, is everyone going to play their, their own game essentially? Yeah. Uh, anyway, so these are, these are the things you can already have. Um, you know, working in the back of the backs of your yeah. minds. Uh, but first, I'll, I'll kick it back over to you, Tim. Yeah, that's tell, great. Tell us the, the process. Like, wh what's the starting points of of what you've built, and mm -hmm. then you know, walk us through the different steps, the different. You know, the, you're you're standing on the shoulders of giants. Like, oh. who are those giants, and mm -hmm. um, what, what's what's your special input, and how does it work? Absolutely. So uh, I'm going to give you just a quick overview of where we were like two months ago right? With AI. AI, we had reached a point with prompt systems. 
thanks to OpenAI and Google and others like them, where they had trained so much data that we actually got interesting and meaningful results from interactive systems with AI. It's incredible, right? But it didn't necessarily do anything with game design yet or game development in general because the output from a ChatGPT-like system is naive and pretty much uh, useless for a game developer kind of person. And if you look at my blog article related to auto RPG, you can see an example of what I mean where it says that it's generating a forest, but in reality it spits out uh, a tile-based system that's uh, like a little circle of water. It's pointless. Then um, a fellow comes along by the name of Yohei Nakajima and others like him. But Yohei, he posted a paper about autonomous autonomous task agents. Um, the idea being you take a GPT system, something that can handle uh, input from a human and then compare it against its vast database of knowledge and then give you something interesting as output. And instead of um, manually having to sit there and refine your your stuff that you're asking it, you just say, here's the output. Now go design a better way to ask this question. Or if I need to know more, design a list, list of tasks for me to execute. And so it's a program, it's a methodology that takes a GPT system and uses other GPT agents to go down the rabbit hole right? Until it makes small solutions and then aggregates them back up to a final solution. You end up with very powerful results. Like the very first version we played with, we asked it to do like look up research um, information about the history of procedural generation in video games. I got 14,000 lines of text out of it in about an hour of uh, API usage. That made me think, well, what if I hooked it up to the game dev harness that we were building, where we have all of these tools and ways of thinking about putting worlds together? And so we did. We spent three weeks doing that. And as you've said, we are standing on the shoulders of giants. This is stuff that did not come from a vacuum. This comes from decades and decades of game development and AI research. Just we've reached that inflection point where we can put them together as applications instead of having to understand how to build a neural network by ourselves. That's the advance. And that's like three weeks old. And so just so I understand it correctly, mm -hmm. um, and our listeners too, mm -hmm. the autonomous task agent mm -hmm. is essentially like a bunch of, let's in, in this case, let's call it GPT 3.5s or 4s, yeah. that's each have their own role. Like one of them mm -hmm. is maybe the, the task master that, you know, right. decides what tasks need to be done. And then each of these tasks gets sent or um, has to be solved by one of the other GPTs, those bring back mm -hmm. results. And then is that the way we should think about this? I think it's a great way to think about it, even if like the implementation may vary. Uh, if you were making a game comparison and if anyone loves Mass Effect, then it's more like the Geth. They're individual programs that can work together. In this case, you are right. The initial version of Baby AGI, which is what Yohei Nakajima made, has a task agent, right, a master agent that makes subtask agents. They execute, return, and summarize, and then it loops back. Now, our innovation was to add additional 
logic around game design and add additional modules such as talking to MiniGPT4, which is not an OpenAI product. It's more, um, what it can do is look at images and then classify them kind of on the fly. So if I show it an image of a 2D top-down role-playing game, like in the demo, and say, hey, look at the quadrant to the northeast. What's there? And it says, well, there's a river. I say, great. What's south of it? Still a river. What's west of it? An empty field on a hill. That's stuff that the AI can work with in a summarized way. Trying to throw all the map at it at the same time doesn't work. Um, tokenization limits, memory limits, that's what these kind of harnesses are for. It's to abstract away the hard parts and let the AI still be creative. That's what we did with AutoRPG. Now, the output for it, and this is the thing I love, is that we assigned the world builder AI a personality and said, hey, you're idealistic. So approach this from the perspective of a fantasy role-playing game and make an ideal situation. Now, when I put the more anxious or the more paradoxical agents against it, I got very different results, kind of interesting, strange results, right? Additionally, we, could, we created NPCs virtually the same way that the Stanford team did with 25 agents, right, with their experiment. We used those agents to uh, say, hey, you are standing on the path that you say you created, and you're looking at the scene. What's interesting? Ah, eh, nothing is particularly interesting. Go create something interesting. Okay, I found an art asset for a strawberry. Let's put those near the river. Now I will leave the path and want to go to the strawberries. Suddenly, there's a narrative reason for things to exist in the scene that didn't exist before, and it's not procedural generation, it's narrative generation. It's autonomous generation. That's what's new. You you mentioned um, beyond the autonomous task, task mm. agents the term harness. Mm. Can you, because I feel like that this is um, something that's key to your innovation. Yeah. Can you just elaborate on, on what that sure. is? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I think um, if you look at the code for Baby AGI or um, Yohei's new project, um, Baby B AGI and AutoGPT and all the others, they're relatively short. They're a couple hundred lines of code. They're not very big. Um, that doesn't help you build a game, right? So, of course, we have a larger harness. Instead of it being a couple hundred lines of code, it is quite large. It is things about how tiles should be related, chunking methodologies, all sorts of stuff from game design that I, I love tile-based games. I've, I've worked on them since the beginning of my career that I knew is cool ways to build a world and then treat them more like brushstrokes the AI can use than individual pixels being painted on the screen, right? It's more like a painter working with tools. So when I talk about a harness, I'm talking about the way one agent can talk to another, the way one model can talk to a different model or get reviewed by it, and then the tools that they have at their disposal to affect the internal state. And the internal state, in this case, is a game map, a level. Okay, I'm going to stop my questions here and i want to have the others maria phil devon any comments questions remarks observations are you guys getting scared i have, Go ahead, I have a quick question I'm, I'm curious how much so you talk about the size of the harness and all that stuff obviously you guys are experienced coders yeah. are you actually getting any code out of the ai as well that that you're able to use like with the tooling and stuff oh like that, or? yeah 
Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't want to get too secret saucy on you, but um, there is definitely the the ability to generate useful code in a sandbox environment for further, mm, let's call it specialization of requests. When the AI wants to do something and the tool set says, I don't have that, we can ask the question back, can you generate a method to do that? And if yes, that sounds like a fun idea to try. Now, I've seen it kind of go both ways in our system because we don't have a perfected system yet. Things can go terribly wrong with it, but um, it does create interesting results. And I will say that there was some code execution that was invented by the AI for the level that you see. And as a follow-up question then for that, like um, one of the things I ran into as a problem with like auto GPT type of stuff, right, is there's like a certain amount of variance that's supposed to happen to make mm. the responses kind of interesting or whatever in mm. so you don't get like the, you know, the, the temperature or whatever, like to have the fluctuations. Yes. Yep. Like ha has that been problematic in like the – because when it's yeah. like step by step, right, like if any of the in-between yeah. steps like vary, you get pretty yeah. different results, which could be like yeah. good if you want creative yep. results. But if you want like right. consistent results, that sounds problematic like – it How is problematic. That that's the that's the entire design of a harness, right? That's the goal is to figure out instead of relying on the model itself for the temperature, what level of determinism versus randomness do you actually want? Tuning a harness is the is the key that we found was useful. Now, I'm not going to give all of that up right now, but I will say that yeah, you're on the right right track there. I think Amazing. Whenever I hear you, oh Nico, what what are you going to say? Uh, whenever I hear you talk about this, Tim, you sound like you make it sound so simple and kind of obvious. Mm. But my brain is screaming at me saying, why am I so primitive in my thinking? Because like I I can't even imagine how to do this. Let me, and so yeah. I think I think there's this really unique proposition that scripted has, which is. It's a really good understanding of how to design games mm -hmm. and a really good understanding of utilizing tech. And I don't think there are many companies out there where you can combine those two depth of knowledge right. to just create things. Like if you're if you're coming from a non-gaming background, you haven't designed complex games. Yeah. You probably know how to use the tools, create the tools, but you don't you can't create like these use cases mm -hmm. to really get the value out of them to, to generate yeah. innovation. But when you put the two together, you can. Right. And by the way, thank you for that. That's, that's, that's a very kind way to put it. I will say that um, when I started out in the industry and I learned how to do tricks, right, um, there were things I wanted to learn how to do in game design that either hadn't been invented yet or were private information in the corporate field, right? And uh, I'll give you an example. When I worked uh, on Ultima Online, because I always love talking about that. It's an amazing game. Um, the They had a system for weather. It was completely empty, but the server would send a packet and say it's raining now or it's snowing now, and it might do something, but the world didn't change. And for a game that was built on the idea that it was a simulation and living, that was disappointing to me. So one time, I hacked the 2D client so that every tile that was leaf in the forest, switched over to the appropriate snow tile. And it looked terrible because I had not understood that the original dev team, because the leaf tiles looked so similar to each other, 
didn't place them with transitions in a way that makes sense. They were all just random and it looked super jarring. And so I went and created a method to procedurally fix all of them in one pass as the client was rendering it. And it required me to build a table of 512 combinations of the possible tile sets, right? And I just considered that part of my day. So fast forward that 15 years, and we have all of that kind of knowledge between myself and my co-founders that we want to apply to these kind of generative opportunities. They're, they seem small to me, and you're right. I look at world building as the low-hanging fruit. I chose the way I did it with this demo because it was the easy way to do it. I want to take the NPC side of things and the event and puzzle design side of things. That's where the real next level is. And further, live ops is where this can really shine, where we're suddenly saying it's not a human having to design an event for 20,000 players. It's an AI that can react to the events, scale it as necessary, and add rewards when more people come in. These are the things that are going to make a difference in game development, right? Not just world building. Yeah, and that's actually one of the things I want to talk about in this episode is how AI can solve the problem of like content treadmills, not not mm. just live ops, but yep. building the expansive expansive yeah. worlds. Yeah, and that's what I, that's what I want to talk about too. Auto RPG yeah. is what I, I hope you guys look at it and you say, oh, maybe there is a solution for small teams now. Maybe there is a way that creative people can massively force multiply their output and keep communities engaged. And those, building those future community engagement platforms, even in blockchain, is incredibly important. I think this kind of product has a future in that. Yeah, but I also want to talk about something else, which yeah. is I'm scared. I wear two. I wear two hats. We're talking mm -hmm. about this. I'm super excited. Yeah. I knowing that we can solve the content treadmill of live ops is just music to my ears. Mm -hmm. What problem to solve? And then my heart is scared, and I want to run away from this conversation because it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think there are very uncomfortable things we should all talk about in this conversation. I think all of us will have input on that. Yeah, well, let's let's split up these these two. Um, topics and let's first maybe touch upon the content treadmill. Um, we haven't heard much from our, I would say, probably generally one of the smartest guys, if not the smartest guy on this podcast, Phil. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Tell us, man, what are you thinking in terms of um, you know you've seen auto RPG at work? Um, what are your thoughts when it comes to its application to the game development process? Where does it add, add most value in your opinion? Is it you know, during development, is it, you know, when development is done and you're trying to just generate more content? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because it's, it's kind of split here between the value that's offered to the to the game developers themselves, and then ultimately the value that that derivative derivatively provides to the players. And so, I think the thing that I've always been excited about on the AI side, and like, look, I'm a I'm a cautious optimist here. I'm not I'm not all in. This is going to fix all of our problems. But when I think of AI. I think of efficiency. And so for game devs, being able to automate some of the more mechanical aspects of the creation process and hopefully allocate more time towards the more creative aspects of building and monitoring a game over time. And I think that's where that's where my, my fear that Maria talked about subsides a little bit um, is I think that 
hopefully this helps us focus on what matters the most, right? And and this this allocates more time and more resources to creative and human functionality. And so when we see stories like IBM saying they're going to be able to lay off 7,800 people and Chegg stock prices tanking because ChatGPT is, is taking over a lot of the functionality, I think we're going to see a lot of growing pains there. Um, and I think there are a lot of things to be concerned about that are going to need to be figured out at the, the human level and the impact. But um, in terms of AI kind of taking over the world and taking over the industry, I, I think that ultimately it will kind of settle in a in a place of efficiency and productivity um, that that enhances rather than takes away from from the current practices of, of developing a game and ultimately creating new content that players love. Um, so. I think I think that that's kind of how I, I balance those two things. I actually want to challenge that if I can. Okay. Yeah. Because I hear a lot of companies and investors and people are talking about, oh, AI. And then the words used are efficiency, productivity. But if we go to the past and we look at, for example, RPD, which was you just automate, you know, with a, a robot, basic robot uh, to do certain clicks in a certain way people were laid off. Like this had massive consequences and like having jobs that just don't make sense anymore because you just yeah. create an RPD based system and that's it. Um, and this is just one of the examples we can then look at like documents digitization that is now automated that laid off people. And so anytime we talk about efficiency, productivity in this, you know, business world that, leads to either layoffs or you don't have to hire as many people as before. And we're talking about complex games can be made with smaller teams. But then, you know, what happens with the smaller teams? What happens to the people who are no longer going to get hired? And so I think in these discussions, yes, it's not going to be as dramatic as we're all going to be without a job and games are going to be completely made by AI. But we have to be like we have to stop using pretty words to describe mm -hmm. like, yes, this is going to change roles. It's going to change, you know, potentially the number of people getting hired. Anyway, I'm going a bit in circles. But no, yeah. I think it, it makes it makes a lot of sense. And I think the way I think about that is there will be there will be short term pain with technological innovation. Right. And skills will have to adapt and. You know, the jobs that people have in 20 years might change. And I don't know why, but the first thing that came to my mind was like, think about how the how phone networks work today. Right. Back in the back in the days, you used to have switch operators that were literally manually transmitting lines. And that job is now absolutely obsolete. And anyone Except that, for the John Wick franchise. <laughs> yeah. But anyone anyone that that served that function um, will now have to go find something else to do. But um, it also created new roles. And that takes time. Right. And that, that will cause short term yeah. pain and definitely, and, definitely and don't want to write that off. And that's fine if you're in your 20s, in your 30s, in your 40s, but ageism is a thing. And so yeah. when we're talking about, oh, you can just go and learn a new skill and go into a new role. I mean, yes, okay. But, you know, if you're in a later stage of your life, that's not a click of a, a, a switch. Yeah. And, you know, even if now if we're talking to people who are in their 60s and their 70s, you know, my dad doesn't know how to use an email and he's a CEO of a business and he's like trying to make do with people who write his emails when he's writing physical <laughs> letters. This this is like you yeah. can't just keep up constantly with reinventing your role. So, yes, there are consequences. 
hundred percent. And I, I think that efficiency does come with consequences. I think the, the VC and me and Nico probably thinks more of the efficiency than the consequences in certain moments and in certain situations. Um, but yeah, I think you're, you're, you're absolutely right there. And another element of this is maybe how fast does this actually play out? Where as, as amazing as a lot of the AI tech we're seeing today is, um, I think looking back, we'll see it as rather primitive in the end. And so I'm, I'm curious to see when the impacts of AI that we're currently thinking about actually come, because there's, there's inevitably going to be some lag. And I don't know if that's six months, six years or 60 years, Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a pretty long time. Um, But I think that there's also this adaptability happens as the technology is also growing and um, like it won't necessarily be these overnight changes, but there's still a a huge learning curve that, that absolutely has a, a human impact to, to Maria's point. I think she has an excellent point. I, I yep. have two concerns. Um, one, the nature of game design changes, right? That's one issue. Um, if if it becomes more than a helpful tool to give you ideas, if AI progresses past that, suddenly we're talking about no longer just doing, and I'm going to speak in the perspective of metaverse and virtual worlds, so give me some rope. Game design no longer becomes a individualized task of creating quests. Really, I think we understand there's only four or six kinds of quests, and uh, all the flavor writing on top of that is just relational, right? So at that point, what are you doing? Well, you're either being replaced by an AI that's doing the content and making those relationships between different areas of the game, or your game design job has changed to a meta design, right, where you're designing the ways that the AI works in the world and the way that the game interacts with the AI. That's more of the uh, Korean manhwa style, the gamer kind of thing. Like, you know, you're moving towards these uh, Moonlight Sculptor style worlds. And I think that's possible. The second, and this is a, a real concern across the AI spectrum as it disrupts everything, is age cliffs. You already said it. Um, both of you were talking about it. But... What happens when all the youth jobs, the junior programming jobs, the junior design jobs are completely obviated by AI, and yet the AI hasn't caught up far enough to do the things the senior developers and the senior designers do? You end up with a group of senior talent without the human element of junior help. That, I think, is also a dangerous idea. Cybersecurity ended up in a position like that to some extent because um, the background knowledge required a lot of times and experience required for a lot of that like really in-depth cybersecurity generally skewed towards older people uh, as younger people like didn't really have that depth of knowledge yet. And so it was always interesting to see because like you you did end up with a problem where you lacked people, like people retired, people maybe weren't looking for active jobs anymore or weren't as keen to switch jobs because, you know, it takes a lot of – you know, energy to switch jobs and retrain some stuff and things like that. So you did end up kind of in a weird position where like the sort of reverse ageism like you're talking about. And I think there is an interesting aspect, you know, you bring up like having worked on Ultima online and stuff like that. Right. I think there's a lack of people in the industry with that, like a depth of experience back to older MMOs and virtual worlds talking about metaverses, for example, like that's something I brought up a few times where it's like, you know, we, we have these conversations with like young people that like don't know the history and then they're like talking like 
a little bit out of their ass about stuff that's like this has been done 20 30 years ago and we already figured out why that didn't work right. and why it could work but like right. stuff like that is it's but it's interesting because we do i think we need a mix regardless right like you need the old people with the experience you need the young people with the energy and uh new ideas and like that's why i always like things like apprentice systems and stuff like that because they kind of helped that sort of thing move forward and who knows maybe we have the ai apprenticing people right you work as an apprentice for the ai mm-hmm. And it teaches you how to do the stuff it can't do, right? You're like an intern for Skynet, right? I, I mean, there's, there's, there's lots of possibilities here. And I think if you, if you move out of the reactive space, right? Like, I, I'll, sure, I'll help on the camps. Why not, right? Uh, but it's, it, it, you know, if you, if you move away from being reactive and scared and just being like, well, these are problems. Okay, well, let's just solve them, right? I, I think that's yeah. always the, the, the approach I've taken, right? Like, I, I skew a bit older, but I also try and, like, skate to where the puck's going. So I don't usually have as much of a problem with being aged out so much, but at the same time, I guess if I start looking my age, maybe I will, maybe I'll get, you know, more bias against me and things like that. But it's, it, it's one of those things where it's like, well, you, you kind of have to, like that's the aging is not going to, well, maybe, maybe I'm wrong on that. I was going to say aging is always going to be a thing, but maybe not. Maybe, maybe tech solves that too. But uh, yeah. for now, aging is still a thing we have to deal with regardless. That's like a cyclical thing. So it's like, all right, well, let's just rather than go, let's shut down AI for six years or whatever, like what or six months, whatever they're trying to do. It's like, well, let's just, let's just figure out the problem. Hell, ask AI how to solve the problem. Like let's, let's leverage it then to, I don't know. I'm a big fan of that. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, if, if there's a bomb and the bomb is a problem, we'll use the bomb to do something useful then. Like, yeah. Yep. I don't know. I, that, that's I, my take on it. It's like the, the, all these things are just problems to solve, not like let's just freak out kind of things because every generation has like the freak out about the next generation's thing or two generations later thing. And like, that's just normal. Like in the, you know, us being in the future of gaming, right. We're, we're used to seeing everyone else freaking out over web three or what was free to play before that. Or there's always something to freak out about. And I think AI, like, like as a, as a game designer myself, like I, I started just being like, well, cool. How can I make this do game design for me? You're talking about like meta design. I'm like, awesome. Like let's do some meta design. Then I'll give it constraints. I'll tell it exactly what I want. I'll steer it. I'll see what it comes up with. I'll be like, Hey, ideate for me. Like if the ideas aren't as valuable anymore because the AI could do cool i'll do something else like but i think if you embrace that and have fun with it like you could start to go towards a solution a bit faster than if you go like oh crap i'm out of a job if you get what i mean i'm not saying that that for everyone but sure Devin, you have financial security you know you don't have people I don't, uh, sorry, I'm saying this. I'm assuming. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I <laughs> haven't noticed. I've, have changed, financial, I've changed careers many you have financial times. security. Yeah. Yes. But if you're in a position where your job, so many people are dependent on you, you don't have the luxury to take like two years to learn how to change your job and whatnot. That, that's like completely yeah. different. And that's I mean, why we need governments to have protections for the, you know, the job market and stuff like that. So it's not as simple as, oh, it's a problem and we're going to solve it. And then another problem comes and we solve it because not everyone has time or even mind space to solve problems because they have much more pressing problems to solve. Sorry, I'm getting I'm, a bit philosophical here. I'm <laughs> a little bit biased because like I've been in this situation. I've changed careers many times. I went from commentating to cybersecurity because like commentating was a young person's game. So I was I was going to age out of it eventually, right? Because I was like twice the age of most of the commentators already. And so I'm like, I spent the time, my off time uh, from commentating, studying for the cybersecurity stuff. And then during the cybersecurity stuff, I started like learning the web three stuff. And it's like, I'm not everyone. Obviously they're totally people that are totally different. Like you said, like I'm not the typical example, but I, but I'm saying it's possible. Like, and they're like that, that obviously we should do something to help the people that can't do it. Absolutely. We should 
do what we can. But but regulation style, like top down, is is not a great way to do it, right? Like like when we just start putting brakes on everything, then that stops the people like myself that can handle it or want to do it that way, uh, and then you know divides everyone into that kind of weird thing. But there's like plenty of ways we could try and help. You know, there's always these job retraining things. There's always those help programs like. There's plenty of ways to help solve the problem. I just mean like, and I'm not saying let's put our head in the sand either. That's what I mean is like the middle ground where it's like, let's not put our head in the sand and not discuss this topic. Let's discuss this topic, but let's discuss it from a, a problem solving thing instead of a uh, slamming brakes mentality, I guess. And let's try and help people that need help for sure. You know, here's an example. So I'm sure most of you are familiar with scenario AI, right? the product that auto-generates uh, game assets. So I have an account with them, and I've as I build games, uh, I find that it's an excellent ideation platform and that I can uh, put in my own images, create my own model, and try to get my own result for all sorts of cool little objects and things. But since the copyright law in the United States is quite clear that AI-generated assets, purely generated assets, are not um, defensible in copyright, I still pay an artist to go and use those as inspiration to make my own assets, right? Now, that's the first phase that we're talking about with AI in game development, where it's more of an ideation prototyping object, right? The issue I think that you guys are discussing is that as we move towards the true job replacement automation, um, it's adapt or um, perish, right? And so what does that mean in... Um, uh, an example like I give an auto RPG, where in the second phase, it's not just that it built a world already, it's that you can continue telling a story and it continues modifying the world and chops down trees to build something, right? And suddenly you've offloaded a huge amount of human work that would normally would have to happen in a game as you're updating it. That is That is disruptive. I get that. So... That's where I think Devin's uh, point about having to shift towards the meta design that we're talking about with having to like design ways that the AI is actually doing things rather than the, uh, the nitpicky bits that we're used to as game developers, right? I think we're going to have to pull back on the brush a little bit and talk more about the palette selection and the paints and the way we do things more than putting pixels on a canvas. That's where I think the difference is going to be in the next year. Of just AI that actually benefits games. the older people, right? Because they have the experience to understand steering that boat if they're willing to do it, right? If they're right. willing to embrace like, hey, uh, maybe I have to learn a little bit of new tricks, but my my experience there is actually valuable. Now, obviously, ageism sucks when it's like people just be like, well, you should retire by now and stuff like that. But if you if like if we ignore for a second the, the just inherent biases people have, those people are more valuable to do that sort of thing, to do the meta design. Because if you do meta design, but you understood design for a long period of time like you're going to be better at the meta design than a person just coming fresh into that's like you know i see people now like growing up on ipads and they have no idea how a computer works and i'm like well there's value in knowing how a computer works uh and, and so the younger person is actually at a disadvantage in a lot of ways but that doesn't always manifest itself right and so like there definitely will be i think a period of like rough stuff for sure like where some people just go through ages stuff some people go through just like like you said not having time to retrain not having the energy or the or any kind of financial security to do so and like that's going to be hard like there's there's no getting around that like that happens with any industrial revolution or uh technology upgrade period like i'm sure scribes went through a real tough time when the gutenberg press came out uh 
but it had to happen, right? Like we had to kind of move past that manual labor. And there was, you know, there was great things about scribes, you know, the calligraphy and the, you know, there was the meditative aspect. I'm sure there was like lots of benefits that we lost, unfortunately, but um, maybe we could find other ways to uh, move those benefits somewhere else uh, and take advantage of that rather than like just fight yeah. against it. Cause you're not going to mm-hmm. win fighting against it. Like that's just, yeah. that's a, a losing battle. Well, you're not I mean, going to. As so- the VCs in the channel have pointed out, right. Um, the level I built, it represented an 83 cent investment of, and 22 minutes of time overall, right. As it executed, that's quite different when I wanted to go benchmark it against um, some Fiverr RPG maker um, developers, and I paid them between $25 and $100 to generate levels that pretty much looked about the same, you know, different, totally different designs, mm-hmm. but same general level of quality. Not that someone couldn't do better. A human could do much, much better than what I show you in auto RPG, but at a much higher cost and a much higher time investment. Yeah. So, um, sorry, Maria. I, I just wanted to, you know, I think it's an important discussion, but it's a discussion that's, I would say, not unique to games because this is impacting, you know, every yeah. single industry in the technology world. And I also don't think, like for me at least, and, and we can have, you know, we can have a separate conversation around this. It's this is a responsibility of of society as a whole, more than industries specifically. Um, like as you said, Maria, like governments will have to. F- figure this stuff out because I'm, I'm, although I, I get everyone's points that, you know, throughout history, we've seen new technologies overtake jobs and new jobs created. Like, I think this is, this time is different. Famous last words. Um, but I do think that a bunch of people, like more and more people will not be able to add value to society in a traditional sense pretty soon. Um, that's my opinion. And I think, you know, we'll need solutions for that. I actually wanted to shift gears into another usage of AI that I think is it. really important. Okay. So, Fun fact, in 2017, I actually did my MBA uh, research in the assault analysis of game design, and I decided to reread it because I knew it was mostly about AI. Uh, and I actually read like how I thought AI was going to change game design, and I'm really happy because I still believe it. And so one of the uh, opportunities was personalization. And I think that is where AI can play a massive part because we're in an attention yeah. economy, post-IDFA, post uh, the Google privacy sandbox. Like we're all talking about, mm-hmm. oh, you have to personalize your game for different player yeah. types and purchasing behaviors. And so, you know, if you have an AI that can, when I saw auto RPG, I was like, oh, I see this. Because yeah, if you, you can it. have the game adapting to what the player is showing preference to do. So let's say it's an exploration game. So you have this open world map. And you see that this player just wants to go from place to place, quest to quest. They don't want to explore. Then the AI can start changing the worlds and the level design to you know, create what the player seems to have the most fun doing. Or if yep. the player is, in, is like, oh, I want to explore all the nooks and crannies and all the side quests, and I want to know every detail of the lore, the game can adapt to do that. So we're currently talking about personalization of what starter offer is shown, mm-hmm. what's the fatui that you go through. But like AI can bring actual game personalization in mm-hmm. terms of like the deep end of game design. Yeah, and I think that that's part of something that you actually brought up 
probably almost a year ago, Maria, and it was an idea that I loved in the Discord, talking about how something that NFTs could do for games is almost creating a choose-your-own-adventure where the way that you play impacts how the rest of the game unfolds. And so creating that at scale where the game is changing and all five of us have different outcomes and all five million people that play also have different outcomes because mm-hmm. it's it's constantly generating new things based on how we've historically acted um i think that's an interesting way to kind of do what you're talking about at scale yeah. but yeah that, that idea that idea stuck with me for some reason 10, 10 12 months later i forgot about it <laughs> i'm glad you remembered well i, I think it's spot on Right, because it's not just a game dev tool. That these can, this uh, auto RPG represents a, like a three week project that can become something that takes user generated content right to a level where it's personalizing those experiences for the players. It's new. It's it's a little scary that there's so much power that can be done, and there have to be careful rails and protections to make sure things don't go terribly wrong. But it can unlock so much gameplay that previously would have required a hundred people on a dev team and a hundred million dollars to do and won't now. Yeah. And even from a narrative perspective, like before, if you, you know, we talked about Mm -hmm. mass effect where actually the narrative didn't really change the end game. But if we're talking about, you can personalize the Mm -hmm. story of this arch enemy that Mm -hmm. touches like what you find personally to be enraging. I don't know if they killed a red panda, I'd be furious and I wanted to defeat them. And like, yeah, narrative uh, personalization as well of the storytelling. You know, when I talk to people about um, how a game can make an emotional connection, right? The number one example I use is Earthbound or Mother, the Japanese version. And if anyone hasn't played Mother or Earthbound US in this channel, I urge you to play it. Because as you play that game, which doesn't have AI, it doesn't have any of that stuff, but it, it with its story, the way it forges a connection, if you could imagine that applied to what Maria is talking about, you have a future of gaming. That is truly not just not an addiction it is something that makes you feel involved it it's where game transcends into art right that's new i would love to see that be part of it yeah react smart reactivity i think is really a big unlock because it's like you know you take a ttrpgs like tabletop rpgs and like that that reactivity is like an essential element to it like being able to adapt to what the players want to do being able to generate new content yeah. and and i think you can extend that much beyond like narrative stuff it can get into gameplay stuff. It can get right. into all kinds of things where Absolutely. being able to react smartly in a way that like at least acts like it comprehends is something much, much like higher than this procedural algorithmic style of responses that we've had to deal with so far. The, the hard part actually is probably going to be more controlling it and corralling it and figuring out like how to like shape it in a way that is doing what you want it to do for players Correct. more than just like yeah. allowing it to do stuff. Cause it's just going to do crazy stuff. If you just open oh, up yeah. the box, right? Like it's very Pandora's well, boxy like that, you know, yeah, it, you're describing, but yeah, it, I'm it's, sorry. It's, I didn't mean it, to interrupt you. No, it's, it's, it's a tricky thing. And I'm sure you've dealt with that a bit. And I was going to ask about that earlier. Like how do you, how you deal with, like you start getting it to generate all these things for the player, but you've got to like kind of shape a little bit, right? You're trying to play this like light hand, like touch of like, well, we've got to steer this, but I can't like shove it in a direction, right? And it's like, that's something game designers have always kind of aspired to in a way, right? Like you want to have players have the experiences you want them to have, but you also like want them to feel freedom and autonomy. So you're always trying to find that balance between how much do I steer my players without them knowing it 
uh, in the right direction. And it's like now that can actually be part of the system itself rather than just rules design or like hidden tricks and things like that. It can actually be like a smarter response to that. And I think that's a big value unlock, but that's also going to take time to figure out how to actually do that steering. Yeah. Um, And that's, I think, what you're talking about is probably one of the most important things to the AI, the autonomous AI conversation in game design. And what I mean by that is procedural generation has been with us for a very long time. Procedural generation has been used to maximum effect in great games like Dwarf Fortress, which give excellent emergent behavior situations where things happen with elephants and miasmas that you don't expect. Right. Um, And you end up with communities creating huge engagement platforms, sharing save files so that they can go the uh, keep moving on the legend like um, 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 boat murdering, right? boat murder. That was an amazing story if you've never heard of it in Dwarf Fortress. Um, But autonomous AI lets you leave the mathematics and the combinatorics behind and have some sort of recursive intent where you can have a goal, even if the goal is self-generated, and find logical paths to reach that goal. And if you're worried about going down the rabbit hole too much, you can limit the recursion, right? You can force it to come back up. That's what my harness has to do. I have to limit the recursive depth right off the bat because otherwise it would spin out happily for hours, digging down rabbit holes that aren't useful to the end product, right? And so I think as we explore different expressions, different ways of doing output, different ways of like creating things with it that are not just world building or putting 3D skins on avatars and hooking them up to a GPT system, right? As we move towards what you're talking about, where the puzzles and the inner game mechanics start getting designed, that's where I'm taking auto RPG. I want it to be able to do more than just show you a game. I want you to be able to play something and react to it. Maybe in the future we start talking about... Final question, um, Tim. What is, like, what will be the main problem that your Mm. tools will be solving? Should we think Mm. about this in terms of rapidly iterating on game designs? Or should we think about this as solving the the content treadmill problem? Right. I I have two goals right now. Um, the first is the easy, low-hanging fruit, which is content tread, uh, which is just quick game dev prototyping, right? That's the one where you're replacing like a junior salary, right? And you're getting three people out of it instead of one. So instead of paying $60,000, $70,000 a year, a studio can um, pay that for an AI, right, over a monthly subscription, but they get four developers out of it, right? That's a force multiplier. The second is the content treadmill for live ops, where the game can continue to modify itself under your rules, like Devin's been talking about, right? Under the things uh, with with the idea that uh, Maria had. That stuff is, uh, we've, I, 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 I suppose we call it the holy grail, right? It's like the holy grail of like MMO design, for instance, is a game that can design itself and execute. But with autonomous agents, that's actually becoming very possible, right? That's not that's not that far away anymore. And I see a clear path for what my tech can do to get there. I, I, I think that's extremely valuable to blockchain, to Web3, and to MMOs and virtual worlds for the metaverse in general. I actually think there's another holy grail. I love holy grails. Tell us. 
Um, we're talking, you know, AR, VR, and we look at what Niantic is doing about you have location-based games. Well, I think AI can just create a revolution of like AR or superimposed gaming with your environment. Uh-huh. Um, that might be another innovation where you have like an AI agent who's playing with you. So the character is an AI agent and they're discovering the world that you're discovering. So they only know what you know. And as you're going through the streets, that you're playing a game with it. It could be like a murder mystery. Uh, we can expand it past gaming where it yeah. could be, you know, it's integrated into fitness apps that yeah. creates a story and interacts with your environments to motivate that. And yeah, because it's like you can you can sort of try to personalize a controlled world and narrative within a game that you've created, like being able to create a game wherever you are, where you live, your environment, your surroundings. Mm-hmm. I find that so exciting. Maria, um, you know, you can make these posts um, on LinkedIn and Twitter that start with the years 2030 and you describe a ridiculous future. People really seem to dig it. So I highly recommend giving that a shot um, with what you just described. It goes over great. very well. You'll, yeah. you'll go viral fast. Yeah, I'm, yeah, a shy, yeah. I'm a shy person. You can, you can write it, Nico. <laughs> <laughs> Good. All right. With that, um, um, I'm going to have to cut this. Um, we're, we're nearing the hour mark and um, I feel like we could keep chatting and so perhaps we need to do a, a part two tim you know at the speed you're you know advancing here it seems like you know in a few weeks we can do a follow-up and, and you'll be further and maybe you're, well, you'll see the 3d built. version exactly so um you know that's going to be excited so um with that tim and maria thank you guys so much for joining i'm your great guests as expected to be fair maria is, is probably the greatest web <laughs> like gaming podcast host out there so that's right was, was was to be expected and then tim has recently gone viral so we ah, had to have him come on thanks for having me on guys it was um it was great um Devin, Devin, phil thank you as usual for joining and and sharing your thoughts and questions and most of all listener thank you if you made it till here really appreciate it um if you want to ask tim maria devon phil or me some questions join the discord if you're not already there and um if you did enjoy it please let us know by liking this video wherever you're listening or watching and with that we are out and we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode ciao